Connor, you you like to portray yourself as Mr. IU everything. All Hoosier, 100%, 110%. But you and I know that there's a part of you that has a affinity to another Indiana school. Isn't that right? Yes. IUPUI, soon to be <laughs> IU Indianapolis, is very close to our office and I have a lot that's of affinity not, for the Jaguars. That's not who I'm talking about. Connor, I just... How do you feel about Notre Dame? I'm just going to ask you straight up. Okay. So here's the situation. The Purdue people who listen to this podcast are about to delight in my answer, which is just really... There is a well-founded stereotype in the state of Indiana of the reversible mm-hmm. jacket fan. In that you cheer for Indiana men's basketball and then you cheer for Notre Dame football. That is not me. Let me just, let me be clear (laughs) off the bat. (laughs) Let me be clear. However, growing up, my uncle was a defensive back at Notre Dame and was actually teammates with the father of one Michael Golick Jr., my great-great-grandfather started the tennis team at Notre Dame. And I had a lot of family on my dad's side who attended Notre Dame. So, I'll be honest with you. I had above-neutral feelings for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team growing up. Carlisle Holiday forever. (laughs) But then I became an adult, and I went off to college at Indiana's flagship institution. And my whole life I've cheered for Indiana football, of course, but they became my only love because I became an adult and went off to college. And so now there's a part of me every once in a while. I went, I was at the Notre Dame Marshall game last year, which is a very funny game to be at (laughs) and had to launch a Marshall t-shirt in the concourse of Notre Dame stadium as Marshall beat them. But uh, I'm not going to lie to you when, uh, they do all of the Notre Dame traditions uh, in the stadium and they uh, do here come the Irish. It, uh, it kind of does it for me still. So eight year old Connor is like, yeah, this rules. I'm going to live Hell forever. Yeah, dude. Brady Quinn should win the Heisman. <laughs> Jeff Samarja is the best receiver to ever live. Yeah. So I'm just, I keep it honest with you. That that's me. I pre- listen, this, this show is all about, Honest feedback, honest Mm -hmm. experience, sharing experiences, even if they are a little weird and a little, uh, a little, uh, inconsistent with who we are today. So I appreciate you being open and honest that you have a long and storied history as a Notre Dame football fan, even though you have shut that chapter, it is a chapter in your book. Yeah. It's a chapter we're done with. No, I appreciate it. And so I'm glad we did this before we're recording too. So I can, (laughs) I can pretend I have no ties to them. And I've always just loved Indiana football and rejected the notion of liking a small part of me, liking another team. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, uh, this will definitely stay between us. Um, totally. I appreciate you bringing up the tennis aspect too, because look, while I think everything home field puts out is great. For a long time, there was no Notre Dame 
thing out there that I was like, oh, I would be moved to buy this. I of like it, I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I don't have Notre Dame fans in my personal life in any real way. Like it's not the kind of I, it's not the kind of thing you can wear around casually like I do some other home field things and sort of like I know what I would be the signal I'd be sending out. And I'm not sure it's I not the UC Irvine signal. Correct. Correct. There's not as there's not as much zot involved. But the Notre Dame tennis sweatshirt has while I have not pulled the trigger has been in my <laughs> cart multiple times, multiple times. I have thought about getting the Notre Dame tennis sweatshirt. So I would just like to say, screw you, Connor for, for really messing with my sense of self with this truly excellent sweatshirt. It has this wild pull for people. Krista, my co-founder and wife, whose dad played football at Michigan, grew up in Michigan, huge Michigan family. She wears the Notre Dame tennis wow. sweatshirt. It's wow. truly, it's it, it brings everyone together. I, I think it's. I think part of it is it's like, oh, this is like the preppiest shit I could possibly. Wear. Oh yeah, you know, it, you yeah. know? <laughs> like not even I, close. This is what you would wear as you were bullying Zach Morris or something <laughs> like that. We need to start uh, bundling some boat shoes with it and just send it <laughs> in the package. Yes. <laughs> So I'll probably it'll probably end up in my closet at one point or another. But that's right. Before before I get there, Homefield has uh, some big stuff coming. By the time this podcast is out, the big stuff will already be upon us. What can you share with us about what's going on at HQ these days? Yeah, we're really excited all year. Teased a little bit last week, but we have been doing a ton of refreshes. Just want to get more product in the market for a ton of schools releasing new stuff. It was dissimilar to campaigns we've done in the past that were really concentrated. And so now we're coming back to that with the can't miss kickoff, which we just announced uh, by the time you're hearing this, it's actually underway. So August 21st through September 1st, we are doing a ton of product drops that have really cool ties into college football and college football history. So the first week we are launching nine of the coveted bomber jackets uh, that We've slowly teased out a bit. There's a ton more to come still. But, you know, just really cool moments in college football history to tell. Uh, we've got Pitt and West Virginia dropping on the same day. They have some animosity, I've heard. We have a J Iowa State jacket with the Jack Trice logo, which we're really excited about to be able to use products to do storytelling. And, you know, Iowa State fans, of course, know Jack Trice very well. And this is a story and a lot of really hardcore college football fans. But, Maybe more of the casuals don't, so we're really excited to tell that. We're dropping Baylor and TCU on the same day. Talk about the rivalry. All tons of more jackets uh, coming out in that in that sequence in the first week too. Saturday of that week, we finally drop, finally, finally, finally drop our Ole Miss collection. Did a lot of research, spent a lot of time to do it thoughtfully and, and tell some cool stories. A lot of beautiful Grove shirts in there. And then we end it with a really fun week trying to take a different take on uh product we for seven fan bases which i won't say which seven you have to go to our website and figure it out <laughs> on on sunday august 27th we're trying our first hand at an exclusive box football box for the season so if you're a team of i'll tell you one of them indiana that's my favorite team is the only team Whoa. i ever cheer for in football wow. yeah i know it's how'd you yeah, get them it 
we've talked to them for a long time sure. um sent them a lot of letters um bought a lot of season tickets dude <laughs> um and finally they relented to do to work with us um but we have the idea is that you're buying this box these designs are exclusive to the box and it helps you through every phase of the season so there's a exclusive t-shirt you know you go to a game in august it's hot as the weather turns we've got a baseball tee like three quarters length tee for the 91 copper bowl which is awesome oh last time we went on bowl game um or 93 was the last time sorry still not never in my lifetime um a hoodie for when colder months joggers for when you're at home and having it's a road game you're watching on the couch the joggers you, are year-round let's be honest yeah they're pretty great yeah um there's a home field branded fanny pack for when you're going to these tailgates we have a home field branded koozie so it's really for tailgating for going to games watching at home seven different fan bases we just want to prepare you for the season you can only buy these products within the box though they won't be listed separately on the site during the season and then the final week we celebrate home field's fifth anniversary which is cool um so we do a home field branded drop which is fun much needed and then we go into champs week which we've always done in the past, we've we've had a shirt for at past champions, you know, 97 um, Michigan, which that didn't anger another fan base when we dropped that shirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, 03 LSU, uh, USC, all these ones. But this year in particular, we're doing mini collections, not just one shirt. By decade, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, one decade a day. And they are specifically for only NAIA slash FC. It's not NAIA. One double A FCS D two champions. NAIA so, would be a real pull. NAIA would be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we've got Georgia Southern there. I don't know anybody of repute who no, likes them. But no tall know. grumpy men who like Georgia no, Southern. That's for none, sure. None. North Carolina A and T, Delaware, Montana, Montana State. Just you know, especially with how much uh, has attention has been given to the very top of the sport recently. Yeah. We want to really shine more light on the the smaller parts of the sport. This is like some OG home field stuff. Yes. I love yes. it. It's going to be really cool. We end up, the last day has an App State collection. Um, they won a national championship in the middle of the 2000s. I don't know if you know who they beat in that span, but we do have <laughs> App State on there. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're making as many people as mad as possible. The yeah, is there anybody promo. else you want me to piss off? I think I pissed off Indiana fans actually. Even today, I, I so. think the only people you haven't pissed off are the people we're going to be talking to on this episode, Notre Dame fans. You have somehow managed to cut a promo in which every other relevant part of the country can be mad at you except Notre Dame fans. So, Irish, this is for you. We hope you enjoy it. I'm Jessica Smetana. I am a lifelong Notre Dame football fan. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2016. You can find me on the Dan Lebetard Show with Stu Gotts, also the Golic and Smetty podcast. Uh, this Notre Dame affliction has been something I've lived with as, as long as I've been alive. Hi, I'm Joshua Bowles, uh, site manager over at One Foot Down on SB Nation, also a co-host of the Earn Five Star podcast. Uh, I have almost no connection to Notre Dame because uh, we were poor people growing up. Uh, so we weren't rich, fancy people that went to Notre Dame, uh, but we're, uh, you know, Italian Catholics. So we got that going for us. Uh, but I've been a fan my entire life. Uh, thanks, you know, to, thanks to my dad, who Notre Dame was the maybe the only topic we talked about for 25 years. Uh, so we, you know, so there's a special place in my heart. 
where anytime I talk about Notre Dame, I think there might be a punishment coming. Uh, and, you know, that's it. So made a, a bigger part of my life uh, back in 2007, which was a great season for Notre Dame to go three and nine for me to start covering Notre Dame. Uh, it's, you know, when I moved over to one foot down was the 2016 season, which was the four and eight campaign. So I'm just going to stay where I'm at right now, and hopefully that works well for everybody. Hey, my name is Mike Golick Jr. I played football at Notre Dame from 2008 to 2012. I am also the proud, brainwashed son of a Notre Dame dad and a St. Mary's mom, uh, and you can catch the results of that uh, Gojo podcast Monday through Friday, five days a week uh, at the DraftKings Network. And check me out calling college football games uh, with Learfield on radio. I'm going to do something with you I haven't done with other guests because you are an exception in that everybody else we've talked to has been a fan of a school. You, as you mentioned, played football for this school. Your dad and your uncle both had like very storied careers for Notre Dame. So is there is there a meaningful distinction between you as a fan of Notre Dame football and someone who was and is part of like the Notre Dame football family, as it were. Yeah. It's really interesting because like you mentioned, so my dad, my uncle Bob were both captains there. My uncle Greg was a year older than my dad and was an O lineman there too. So we hit for the cycle in that family. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I grew up a huge Notre Dame fan. Like I probably went to two games a year from the time I was in third or fourth grade on And I was like every other fan where, you know, I'd sit there and I would let them ruin my weekend. I was by far the most passionate fan in our family. So when Notre Dame would score a touchdown while I was in the bathroom in the first quarter, I'd just stay in there because I would see that as doing my part. (laughs) I still have like vivid memories of Notre Dame and Bob Davey choosing to kneel it out and go to overtime with Nebraska at home when I was a kid and end up losing that game. Like I have all the core memories that a fan would of the hurt. And then I thought, all right, once I got to play there, which was my dream, I got to go do that. It was awesome. And on the other side of that, I thought, all right, now I've actually been involved in the process. I know what it takes. I know how the losses did not affect me nearly as much as a player because you got to get ready for the next week. You've got all these things. And so I thought with that access and experience of, man, I had my chance to actually influence the outcome of the games, I would be better. The lie detector test determined that was a lie very quickly. (laughs) So Notre Dame played Texas to open the 2016 season. And I'm sure you remember it was a double overtime game. It was really good. And I was just getting ready to start a college football uh, show on Mondays for ESPNU. It was me, Jason Fitz, and Elika Sadegi. So we were down that week doing like a little get-to-know test screening kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and Be normal for people you haven't met before kind of thing. Exactly. And our producer, Baron Batch, had us over at his house to watch that game. He knew I was a Notre Dame fan, thought he'd be getting to know. And so we hit the third quarter and the game is still close and we're getting ready to go to the fourth. And I stand up and I announce to the room and I say, I have to go back and watch the end of this at the hotel because I am not ready for you guys to see me like this. (laughs) And that turned out to be a good idea. And I will not name the hotel for what happens next, but I'm sitting back in the hotel. And as that tractor trailer of a quarterback dives over the goal line in the second overtime and Texas wins, my body just immediately goes on autopilot and I grab the remote next to me and I fastball that thing right into the wall and shattered it into a thousand pieces. (laughs) I in shame after that black, 
snuck back in and have to like put the pieces together and hide it on the other side of the room so housekeeping won't find it till after I leave. And that was the moment I realized, oh, I'm just going to be sick like this forever. You've now led me into my next question. And I apologize because this this sounds mean. Is rooting for Notre Dame fun? No. No, how can it? I thought you were going to ask, was Rudy offsides? And that should answer your question. Um, here's the thing, Ryan. I It can be really fun. It okay. can also be really soul-crushing. But uh-huh. I think that is the college football experience for most people that aren't Alabama fans. Listen, this is the, this is the biggest problem with, with being a Notre Dame fan, is the expectations are through the roof, like impossible to up ahead. Especially with the older, like I'm 45. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I've lived through some glory days and I've seen some terrible days, but there is a lot of times where just being a fan, like enjoying the things about college football, a weird way. I mean, our way of, and I, and I say our Ryan, because I think we have similar tastes in like, College football craziness is just yes. fun altogether. Yeah. Notre Dame fans as a whole, I don't believe believe in the college football craziness. I don't I don't care if I insult them. I don't really care for a lot of Notre Dame fans. They're not college football fans. They're, They're Notre, Notre Dame, Dame fans. fans. Yeah. <clears throat> and that is a problem for me because it's less enjoyable to be just be a Notre Dame fan. Like, are we gonna win the national championship every year? <laughs> well, I got proof that says no. Uh, so you know, if that's your one thing, uh, or to be like the purest team on the block, it, it, there's, a, there's Notre Dame. I feel sorry for the university as a whole, but they bring this on themselves. They have a lot of hats to wear, like a lot of hats. And because they cannot wear all those hats at once, it causes issues and it causes for less fun. So, um, so those so hats are, those hats, if, I, if I'm thinking out loud here, oh. are football excellence. Yes. Academic excellence. Yes. Moral rigor. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> economic prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, have I left any out? Yeah, and it's just like no, because they all fit under the they all fit under the caps. Maybe they're like a a dandruff flake or something. <laughs> it's like you know, they everything has to be done the right way. Yeah. Or there's there's all these different there's all these different like rules that only Notre Dame adheres to like no one else, no one else gives a crap about any of this stuff across the country, but Notre Dame does. And it's for their, I I don't know if their own hubris or what it is, but they have to do it the pure way. Otherwise it's not the way at all. And I'm not saying they should be going out breaking rules or anything like that because these aren't rules that they're breaking. It's their own guidelines that they put in front of them. And if that's what they want to do, that's fine. You have, they have every right as a university to do that. And they you know, for all the jokes about Notre Dame, they've been competing at a high level for a long, a long time. But Brian Kelly did an excellent job at Notre Dame, making them, you know, absolutely a, a can top ten ish, top fifteen ish team every year. That's that's a big deal. Ask Purdue; they love that. But just the, the way that the the way that they go about it is very off putting to fans like me who want to enjoy a bunch of other things. And you're like, you can't just do that. Like, why are you doing that when? No one cares. You know what I would say is it's more like warm than it is fun. Like we're one of those campuses where 
I had friends who would play for visiting teams whose parents would come when they played those games, and they would, it would always be the same review. They would talk about how when they walked around campus, oh, everyone's so nice and welcoming, and they point out the grotto and where you need to go, and they welcome us into tailgates. And, you know, there's the little of the good-natured ribbing. Oklahoma kind of falls into that, too. My folks had a similar experience going down to Norman when we played there. And so I think we'd fall into that, but, like, oh, I, like the online version of our fan base. No, that is not a <laughs> – that's not a good time. I, as someone who had to go to war with them a lot over Tommy Reese in the last year, I saw how bad it can get. But, no, it, it's – and it's tough because, listen, this is a fan base that obviously has a ton of pride in its university and – enjoys and roots and loves its university for a number of reasons you know the huge subway alumni base of the people that didn't even go there but just you know grew up with an Irish Catholic grandparent in the time where we were on TV like it's a similar origin story for a ton of people but you have that specter hanging over your head of well you haven't won a title since 1988 and while the team's been very good especially towards the latter end of the Brian Kelly years in a lot of people's mind it's still well, you're going to catch grief from everybody else because you're Notre Dame, and obviously there's a, a certain connotation that comes with that, and you don't really have that defense. You've been one of the better teams, but you haven't ever been the best team in any given mm-hmm. year, and so it kind of takes your legs out from under you in some of the arguments you find yourself in. Notre Dame has the reputation of the ushers you know, being mean and making you sit down, sit down on third downs and all of those things. There's also like the Catholic element of it, mm-hmm. which, you know, Catholicism in general, isn't like you don't think of it as like wow that's so fun that they're do that they're eating the body and blood of christ every sunday it's not like wow those are fun dirges that people are marching into church listening to but um i do think my opinion of it is probably skewed because i am not that far out of college and i did have a really fun time at notre dame specifically tailgating for notre dame football games traveling to notre dame football games and other stadiums and watching what was a pretty good team especially my senior year so maybe my opinion is skewed but there have been a lot of fun moments in my lifetime and like i said a lot of soul crushing ones more so maybe than any other big time football school Notre Dame is very outwardly tied to the Catholic faith. Right. There there are multiple examples of this. Touchdown Jesus probably the literally most prominent amongst them. And I'm curious how much that is a necessary part of the Notre Dame fan experience, the the Catholic uh, oh, flavor of it. I definitely don't think there – it's definitely not necessary – to be Catholic, to enjoy the Notre Dame uh, fan experience, like at all. But if you are Catholic, there is that extra bonus there, mm-hmm. I guess. I, <laughs> uh, I was raised half Lutheran, half Catholic, and only fully converted uh, back in 2015 to, to Catholicism for uh, marriage peace reasons. Uh, but it does... <laughs> It does help out with the, with the whole Notre Dame coverage. Uh, but no, I, it, it's very in your face on campus. Um, but it's never like, I, I've never seen Notre Dame use it. I've never, I've never seen a fan be like offended by the Catholicism with their game day experience. It's, it's not, you know, it's, not ex- it's not exclusionary, the, the Catholic aspect. No, no. In fact, I mean, it's, you know, like one of the main attractions on campus is the grotto, right? which is a very Catholic thing to do. You go light a yes. candle and say a prayer, uh, extremely Catholic. But I guarantee you on game day, 
I mean, I just know from the people in the crowd, there are many, many Protestants or and whatever that are, you know, that are out there. Maybe they'll come up and light a candle. They want to be kind of like, it still provides a very mystic experience. And the, and the grotto itself on game day is very quiet and very like, it's very revered by everyone. So like Michigan 2004, when we accidentally peed behind the grotto uh, <laughs> was very disturbing. Uh, but anyways, but it's, it's, you definitely don't have to be Catholic. Your, your game day experience is enhanced. You have the Basilica, which, you know, you know, or which is in front of the grotto um, and all these other little spots on campus and these other little things. It can, you can make it, if you're Catholic, you can go ahead and make game day a totally religious experience. Mm-hmm. Um, or you cannot and still have uh, a, a fun time. No one's, no one's going to tell you no. That's a really interesting question that I think maybe my opinion is also skewed as someone who hasn't been a practicing Catholic for my entire adult life. But I I went to Notre Dame, I attended mass maybe once, and I never felt that uh, it was a super necessary part of being a fan of the team. But I know that at the same time, there's a lot of fans who are fans of Notre Dame just because of the Catholic identity element and because they grew up in, you know, the early 1900s and middle 1900s as like first generation Catholic immigrants and felt a connection to Notre Dame. So that's certainly part of it, but um, it doesn't seem like it's 100% necessary. But I think if you asked someone who was a devout Catholic, they would tell you that that's everything to them. And and that's fine. Oh, I mean, listen, I had teammates that were atheists and had a perfectly good time on campus. Like it, it's, it's definitely not prohibitive. Now I will say it, it's, it ends up becoming one of those things where it sneaks into your experience in a way mm-hmm. sometimes too. But I would say, like, I always put it this way, that is more central, I think, to Notre Dame fans and a lot of their identity around the school because I mean hell you, you have touched down Jesus that's become this thing that's just so overwhelmingly associated L- literally you, looming over right like and I mean the one like the lesser known one like we got first down Moses too right on the side of the library on the other <laughs> side like we've just made all these religious figures into football people over this long course of time but you know and, and it's interwoven in a lot of the pregame traditions one of the big things for Marcus was bringing back the pregame mass I mean we would mm-hmm. literally go game days and sit in the Basilica and have a little mass in the back of the Basilica. And then we walk outside and the fans would be ready to basically walk us from there to the stadium. And so it's kind of inextricably linked to the experience there. And I would say among the things that Notre Dame fans kind of are attached to, I think that is far more a part of the experience than something like independence, which I know has come up a lot lately in the changing landscape of college sport. There's somewhat of a point of pride, I think just because it pisses other people off more than anything else with the independence thing. But I think when most people think of their Notre Dame experience, going out to the grotto there, you know, in football weekends, we would come, we would stay downtown at the double tree. I think it was the double tree back then. And we would bus to campus and they would bus us over through the side of campus that comes mm-hmm. up on the grotto, which is this big recreation of the grotto and Lord's France and, you know, the, the image of the Virgin Mary and all, all the things that people aren't affiliated with that. It's a big cave full of candles and a couple of religious statues. And it's a very, very special spot to people that went to school there and people that come up there. And to your point about how much a part of the Notre Dame experience that is. 
every time the bus would pull up and we'd drive back there, the grotto was packed. And it wasn't just Notre Dame colors. It was the opposing fans that came in. That's one of the places you tell people when they ask me, where do we go on campus when we're in town? The grotto is like my favorite place to go. I stop there every time I'm back on campus. And things like that becoming game day rituals that also have that religious affiliation, I think make it really hard to pull those two apart. What is your earliest Notre Dame football memory? It was number one Nebraska, so it had to be you know late 90s or early 2000s. Came to South Bend, and Bob Davey was coaching, and I, I distinctly remember for the first time that anger welling up with me, in me mm-hmm. that a fan has when a coach who knows infinitely more about the sport does something that I deem at that point as like a 10-year-old completely irredeemable. And the fact that Notre Dame was tied with the number one team in the country and decided to kneel going into overtime, even then my football senses were like, no, this is a bad idea. Over the Go long course the of time, we are going to die. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was probably the first one that really like hit home where I knew all right this is gonna be this is gonna be a thing I truly don't know if I could give you like a full memory because my parents started taking me to Notre Dame games when I was literally like in utero and then Mm -hmm. like you know as of as a tiny newborn I've been to Notre Dame games every year of my life since I've been born and so it just like when I think back to like Notre Dame memories they all kind of all the early ones kind of blend in together Um, but there was a really specific one that I remember from 2006 I would have been maybe 12 um, which yeah (laughs) which was when Notre Dame beat UCLA on a you know fourth quarter Hail Mary pass from Brady Quinn to Jeff Samarja that's probably the earliest game that I remember being at and really truly understanding the rules of football and knowing you know what was going on and the magnitude of the moment yeah and i remember and this ties in with your catholic question i remember my mom and i always wore these like rally beads to the games and i was i took the little beads and was saying the hell mary on all the little beads (laughs) in the fourth quarter like a good catholic girl and then they scored a touchdown so it worked I think that's science. That's irrefutable science. It is definitely. science, yeah. The one that comes out the most is the 87 Cotton Bowl uh, against Texas A&M. And I don't remember watching any other games on television before that. And I don't remember my father watching any other games before that. But I remember that game being on. And I remember my father throwing things across the room. And I'm like, this must be important. This has to be important. The man is not very vocal. He yells, it's serious. And so um, I'm watching like just a temper tantrum in a way. Like this must be important. So the 80, so definitely that game, I said, I better sit down and watch this. Watch that game and watch Notre Dame lose to Texas A&M, which then led me into the 88 season, magically, where I followed everything I could. Watched every game that was on television, which wasn't all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the Miami game was incredible. But like I, I remember, and this is just a, a vivid memory of like every Sunday grabbing the paper, laying on my stomach in the living room and going through all the college football scores yep, and going yep. through the rankings and just like having that. And people do it now. I guess the kids do it now on their phones or whatever. But I remember every Sunday doing that and watching Notre Dame move up the rankings, watching the scores. And it was very, I was hooked at that point. Like, what are all these schools, you know? Uh, and then, and I'll, this is another good one. I talked about, you know, taking over in 07 and the bad records. So we were living in Fort Wayne uh, in 87 and 88. We moved to Ohio on January 1st, 1989, mm-hmm. which is the last time that our name has won a national championship. We <laughs> moved to Ohio. So like 
I'm not going. My wife wants to move. I'm like, I don't know if I can go anywhere. I don't know if, what's going to happen. But uh, <laughs> so I just that whole 88 season stemmed from me, the earliest memory being 80, that 87 Cotton Bowl and going, oh, my God, I got to pay attention to this. Uh, and then it was just then you're hooked. You know, then I was hooked from there. Uh, but there was like, you know, our my dad and his brothers were all blue collar workers. My mom's side of the family was very IU basketball. I talked to Connor about this before where I was an IU basketball fan for the longest time. Yeah. Um, and then I had to make a decision like in high school. I'm like, I can't be both, uh, which broke my grandmother's heart, I believe. Uh, uh, but, you know, they were very IU. Uh, my other grandfather, he hated Notre Dame. He was a big uh, Wisconsin fan. So it was a, so you had one side that paid attention to more basketball than football. And then this side paid attention to football, but it was just like, I'm telling you, it's, it's in that time frame, very, very eighties blue collar. We'll, we'll catch the game. Tell me about what happened in the game. You know, maybe, maybe they'll watch two games in, you know, on a season. So uh, that's how that came about. And then all of a sudden, you know, ESPN happens and then, it, you yeah. know, it, it just shoots out where you see it. So everything, everything changed. Uh, but yeah, just that glimpse of the 87 cotton bowl and, uh, the importance that my father put uh, on uh, Scott Gillespie taking uh, Timmy Brown's towel was uh, was huge. This is a phenomenon that is not exclusive to Notre Dame, um, but is the distinction between Subway alumni, somebody who is quote unquote just a fan, and somebody who you know is an alum or is a relative of alum or something like that? Does that matter internally to Notre Dame fans? Is there like, oh, we is is this a Sneetches situation where some people get stars and some people don't? No, I, I can honestly say there was never really a huge distinction. Obviously, the people that are alums are very quick to tell you the class, and it's fun sure. to trade stories. It's like the first time you go to Notre Dame's campus, and then you watch the movie Rudy after, and you're the mm -hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio meme the entire time. It's like, oh, look, <laughs> this is this is the, the training room and the old Jack, or this is where mm -hmm. I was for class, or any of those number of things. So you get a little bit of that paint you get to swap when you've got someone who's an alum, but you meet so many people and you hear so many of those stories. And I think, again, like you said, it's not exclusive to Notre Dame, but because of the way the NBC deal started out and the television access and the Irish Catholic background, you do get so much of it, especially from a certain generation of people that you kind of become used to it. And everyone sort of gets, you know, grandfathered in the same way, at least from what I've seen. I think as long as you're not an asshole, I welcome <laughs> anyone who wants to be a Notre Dame fan into Notre Dame fandom. I, I don't think gatekeeping fandom is like my thing mm -hmm. um, because truly like the more the merrier having a huge fan base. Notre is a tiny school. People yeah, are shocked right. when they find out Notre Dame's enrollment is less than 10,000 undergrads. And so to keep the illusion of Notre Dame being this big powerhouse intact, you have to be able to welcome people from all over the place that want to spend money on your team and watch your team. Maybe they're watching it to watch them lose, which probably does happen to some extent. But I think that it's great that people want to root for Notre Dame despite not having, you know, the, uh, the other thing that I think comes into play is obviously like the higher education classes because Notre Dame's extremely hard to get into and extremely yep. expensive to attend. So yep. I personally would not reject anyone who wants to be a fan of a team I like because there's a lot of barriers to entry to actually graduating from the school. Do you find there are more assholes in the alumni set or the sidewalk set? There's uh, assholes everywhere, Ryan. It's just <laughs> a different flavor of asshole. 
truly we are all assholes. <laughs> good, good. My first website was Subway Domer. That's a, mm -hmm. the handle I use on Twitter. Um, and I don't think it's direct. Notre Dame is a little different in this where the, fan, the alums themselves, I actually think, take pride in the Subway alum fans that they have. It's not like, it's funny, the, the, the ones that attack it the most aren't the, you would think might be the alums, like, oh, there's a Subway alum. It's actually like Purdue fans who are like super proud of being like the third best school in the state of Indiana. <laughs> uh, so I, it's, it's never been, I've, I've never, and I'm, you know, I'm online a lot and I get a lot of hate comments and all that. It's never really been used by at all by Notre Dame fans as a, as you know, someone to chide you with. Um, it's always just been uh, Purdue. And in fact, you know, Michigan, Michigan fans don't even bring that up because of the Walmart Wolverines mm -hmm. and because they have so many, you know, fans that didn't attend the school. So I, I think, I think when we're talking like smaller and I say smaller, meaning like you haven't been winning a ton of national championships for the last 75 years. These smaller fan bases, these groups, they take great pride in their schools. And the ones that they see that, you know, are kind of propped up by the media or whatnot, they'll, that's the that's one of the things they can get at you. Like, well, you went to Eastern Michigan, so what do you know? I'm like, well, I know how to party. <laughs> what is more important to Notre Dame fans? Competing for national championships or maintaining independence? I think national championships. Okay. Well, I know national championships. Okay. I don't think it's a question. I think if, if conference realignment comes down to Notre Dame doesn't have a path to a national championship, they will join the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, maybe in that order. <laughs> as long as it's not like, oh, we might as well join the ACC. No, let's stop and think about it for a okay. second, guys. Okay. We okay. shouldn't but, do that by default. But that would be a big decision. Yeah. Like, that would be a hard sell for Notre Dame fans in a way that, like, Look, I'm sure there are USC and UCLA fans who are not thrilled that they're leaving the Pac-12, which they've been members of basically since the conference existed in its proto version, to go to the Big Ten. But, like, Notre Dame, like, being an independent is such a defining characteristic of Notre Dame. How do you, how, like, what is that sales process going to be like if that's a bridge they ever come to? I think the sales process has to be about a path to the playoff and the national mm -hmm. championship, because if you make it about not having the same resources, i.e. TV revenue as the other teams, that's a tough sell for fans. This is a school that literally gilds their administration building in 24 <laughs> karat gold every 20 years. This is a school with one of the highest endowments of any university in the country behind only a, like a handful of Ivy League schools. So to you can't call, you know, cry poor, oh, we, we don't have the juice. We don't have what it takes to compete because we don't have the money. You have to make it about, we can't literally play in a playoff unless we join a conference because it's being monopolized by the other conferences and now we're left out. Notre Dame would of course prefer independence. But the fans, I think I think that's starting to to sway a little bit in, in different directions. Myself it's starting to sway in different directions. If Notre Dame's independence with the and this ACC deal that they have is what we have, or we go all in on the Big Ten, especially with the new all right, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and go to the Big Ten. I the ACC is so trash, garbage, <laughs> and they have no idea what they're doing. I don't I don't want this schedule anymore. This is terrible. Right. Uh, and I think there's a lot of fans out there that have that feeling. But independence itself is because it's so important to the university, 
And I mean, let's face it, they, they weren't touting this independence up until the 90s, really. I think this wasn't a thing. It's a lot like the, the reverence they give the Navy was never really this huge thing until the night. Like, there's, a, there's a marketing campaign underway for these things that the university wants to make sure that their fans know that this is what we want to keep it going. So independence gives Notre Dame a lot of, a lot of things. And look, let's face it, other universities have allowed this to happen. Other packages allow this to happen. So if Notre Dame is happy with what they're doing, and I can't say I'm happy with it, but if they're happy with it, then they're going to keep doing what they're going to do. How they sell that to the fans is, is a lot of things that I don't like. Well, we can do this. You know, we got, we can schedule this game and make it a neutral side game. Do whatever they kind of do whatever they want while still you know leaning up on the ACC as much as they possibly can. Um, but I think the fans, I, I would say it's like a 70, 30, like 70 are really like pro independence, but I think there's a 30% uh, part of that group that are looking at other options because they see the fuller picture and like, look, like, is this even going to be a thing in five years or 10 years from now? Like, why am I wasting my time worried about this when in five years, maybe there's, you know, whatever happens. Uh, I think those realities are starting to set in and maybe that 30 is growing. I could be wrong, but my entire uh, perception has changed on it over the last couple of years. So I can't imagine, you know, it, there would not be others out there. Like, like am I the only one out here that's whose mind is being changed because you see the landscape around you changing. And I'm not saying Notre Dame has had to be re- reactionary. And I think their fans enjoy that. And I'd say, and there's the fans take great pride in basically telling everyone to shove off. Like we can do this and you can't, you know, it's like, Oh, you can't be your own man. Like we're the living the American dream. We're our own boss. We have nobody our, telling us what to do. Our dad doesn't pay for anything. We pay our own. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's, it, it's a, it's something that I think fans are passionate about and have been passionate about. But as we're seeing things move along, I think those things are starting to, to change this, you know, a little bit. And who knows what happens in the next few years. It's hard to speak for the whole fan base because I yep. truly don't know. But in my experience, it's always been, and this has been what's been echoed by the regime there now. Jack Swarbrick has been their athletic director. It's always been about, do you have a viable path to the championship? Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the only thing that matters. And that's why I've said, I'll have no issue if and when Notre Dame joins whatever, you know, gigantic super conference amalgamation that we're like three years away from at this point. But no, like that is something where I've always just been more bothered, and I think this is probably the case with most Notre Dame fans, is independence is less something that I take as a point of pride and I more have as a point of frustration with how other people try and position it. As if, you know, Notre Dame is ducking playing a more difficult schedule by maintaining their independence when every year it's very easy. They list strength of schedule, strength of resumes, a metric the committee loves online. Notre Dame's always near the top of that. Like, going and playing a full ACC slate right now, they play five games, would be much easier than playing Ohio State and USC through the course of this year. But that's what they've done. So I think it's more that there's like cognitive dissonance between how the fan base views it and how everyone else views it as some sort of cop out just because their school can't do it. And so, yeah, you know, there's a sick part of all of us. It's a little petty. It's like, yeah, if you could, you would, but you can't say so you don't. And so <laughs> there's definitely some of that in there. But no, when, when that has to go by the wayside so we can maintain a path to a championship, however unlikely people may deem that, uh, I, I won't really mourn it at all. Do you think? the outside perspective on Notre Dame's independence is changing 
in the midst of conference realignment, when you see schools either being forced into very strange positions like West Coast schools joining the Big Ten or finding themselves completely stuck in the case of, you know, Oregon State, Washington State, Cal Stanford, like does independence almost become an asset of sorts in that you have the the ability to set your own course rather than be forced to find out what the other presidents in your conference have done to you? I, I did make that point jokingly. I'm like, this is why you wanted us to join a conference so we would have to live in this crap heap? Like, this looks terrible. No one's having fun right now. But, uh, yeah, no, oh, listen, it, it, it's they're in an overwhelmingly advantageous position because of the history of the brand and what that means. Like, everyone involved, and it's why Notre Dame will always have a place in this. They don't see gold when they look at the helmets. They see green. They see money. Like, Notre Dame is big ratings every time they're on television with some of the marquee matchups that all these people want. And so... Uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I saw Alex Kirshner tweet that they're, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially said Notre Dame remaining independent in the midst of all this realignment and change actually seems like a version of them living long enough to be the good guy because now it's nostalgic. Like Notre Dame yeah, is doing sure. the thing it's always done mm-hmm. in a college football world where we're seeing tradition kind of ripped apart and rearranged at the whims of TV executives and everyone else. And so I do think there is some of that where, you know, we're seeing rivalries go away and Notre Dame's going to continue to play USC and, you know, know, the Michigan series. We can do a whole different podcast on how (laughs) the off years and that are as built into that tradition as anything else. But, you know, the the helmets that you're used to seeing in and around South Bend are still going to be there. And I think there is something too in the midst of all this change, being able to have that to rely on is definitely heartening for a fan, but I understand we're playing by a set of rules that most people can. So acknowledging the privilege of that is kind of the first order of business. Rivalry is an interesting word to use with Notre Dame because given the history of the program and given its long independent status, Notre Dame has connections to so many other college football schools all over the nation in different sort of, uh, you know, uh, achievement strata of the sport. And so I'm not going to ask you who Notre Dame's chief rival is. Instead, I want to ask you, who does Notre Dame hate losing to the most? Michigan. I hated losing to those guys so much. It just Why is that? Proximity. Like, I think most good rivalries are born off geography. And so, like, you know, we're in northern Indiana. Like, so in, in Indiana, when I was in school, and I don't know if this law has changed since, you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays, like those old school religious laws. Yep. And so if we wanted to get booze, we had to drive across the border to Niles and go get it there. And so you're that close to stepping over in Michigan, which means, you know, you encounter Michigan people all over the place. None of them can drive worth a damn. Like, all the things that would annoy you about anyone, like all the familiar things, especially when they're people that are a little more like you than you want to give credit to. Sure, like, I always sure. joke, it's like when Long Island and Staten island rip on each other i'm like you guys don't you guys this is the spider-man maybe yeah you guys don't see this like i had that moment i went and called the michigan michigan state game this last year and it was the first time because i had been to michigan plenty for games but you bus in you go to the hotel you go to the stadium and then you get you get the hell out of town yeah and so this last time around i got to actually walk around campus go downtown visit some of the restaurants and i'm like well well damn it like it's just 
bigger scaled South Bend. Like there's a lot of similarities. It's a lovely Midwest campus. There's a bunch of greenery all over here. And you know, all Midwesterners are, you know, knee slap, whelp, get up the same person. Basically we're just oping our way through life. And so those are usually the ones you hate the most. Plus for whatever reason, they talk the most flack. Like that was a team that like when we're going out there each and every game, no matter what the record is, they're always talking way more than they should have been. I thought at that point, and mm-hmm. I've been on wax with this. So it's not like I'm making any headlines. I think maize is an ugly color. And I think Michigan <laughs> fans know that too because all of their alternate jerseys are head-to-toe blue. No one's ever like, you know what we need? More of this pea yellow. We need more of that in the uniform combination. And so I feel like in places they won't talk about at parties, that's kind of how they feel too. Michigan. Really? Okay, why Michigan. is that? It, so there's an, there's an old adage. And it's dumb. It's so dumb. It's 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 Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame and Notre Dame fans' way of like justifying terminologies. Uh, and it's like USC is our rival, Michigan is our enemy. And, <laughs> and okay, un- unpack that for me a little bit. Well, it's just like so. There's a respect between the two institutions, between Notre Dame and USC. There is none between Notre Dame and Michigan. There is no respect. And, as, as dumb as it sounds, and I'm like, well, hatred is like the core of a rivalry. And so in my mind, like that is like, that would make Michigan a rival. Now there are many, many Notre Dame fans, especially within the geographic areas of the, of the schools that would instantly say, you know, Michigan. But it's just, that's the way Notre Dame has explained. It's the way Notre Dame fans have explained it throughout the years because they don't want to give Michigan like, the cre- you know, they don't want to give them the props of being a rivalry. It's right. very petty, very college football. It's very right. fabulous. So I don't argue with it too much. Um, I have always, my, my personal views has been like USC, Michigan State, Michigan, and then whatever else. I mean, you throw Pitt in the mix. Uh, you know, Notre Dame has played it so many times. Yeah. Uh, Navy is definitely not a rival. It has the dumbest rivalry trophy, which is a thing that gets split apart it's called the Rip Miller Trophy, and when they when they have joint uh, like meetings and, and when they play games, then the trophy comes together because there's mutual. It's the dumbest. Thing. <laughs> it's it's terrible. I am I am not the shill for the university for the Navy game. And it's like a best friend's necklace, essentially. It's, it, yeah, if you smack your best friend in the face like a hundred times, you know, it's, <laughs> every once in a while you get poked in the eye. It's it is one of the worst. It is one of the worst things that Notre Dame does. Uh, in my mind, and they prop it up like, how can you hate this? Look at the mutual respects, the troops. And it's just, they saved the university, and you get fans yelling at you about, oh, you need to know the history. Nobody knows this history. I've been railing about this for over a decade. Nobody knows the history about Notre Dame Navy, probably better than me. And them saying they saved the university, they're acting like the government openly like decided, we want to, in a time where Catholics were hated, we want to save this Catholic institution. No, it's because we're next to the Great Lakes and we were an all boys school and they needed the, it's freaking strategery. Like this is it's so dumb. There was like, a, there's like a hundred other schools that were in the same boat as us. Don't, don't prop us up. Like the Navy saved Notre Dame. Whatever. <laughs> so it, as far as rivals go and all that, yeah, Michigan is the one that we, I, I think Notre Dame fans hate the most, but it, there's still plenty of hate reserved for USC and there's still plenty of hate. I mean, I did a hate series uh, not too long ago. Uh, we have a villains thing that we do. Uh, people hate Ohio State. We've played them, you know, four times since 1935 or whatever it is. It, there's a lot of hate there. There's a lot of hate. You know, Miami. 
And Miami's been in the tank, and there's still people still want to go back to 1988 and 87, 89, yeah. and hold yeah. on to that hate. Now you're not going to find a 25-year-old kid that truly feel, feels that way, uh, but you know their dad's going to teach them that. It's it's it, it's very strange. There are a ton of rivals. There's a ton of rivalry trophies. And Notre Dame does nothing to really promote these things, which is also the bane of my existence. Like, you're going to have this piece of piece of equipment here. Let's frickin' let's make it a big thing. So, yeah, Michigan is probably the biggest hate. SC after that, and then light it up for, you know, Florida State's – there's a lot of hatred for Florida State for, what, what a few games that they've played wow. um, in the last 30 years. So, it's pick and choose. I think Southern Cal. I think Southern yeah. Cal is the answer you'll you'll hear the most for sure. Even Why though is that? I think Southern Cal and Notre Dame have a lot in common. It's in a lot of ways it's like different sides of the same coin. And the rivalry goes back over 100 years when, you know, Newt Rockney's wife apparently wanted to schedule Southern Cal so they got on a train and took a train like across the country and it took five weeks and then they played some real Oregon trail nonsense. Yeah, it was crazy. And so I think that I think Southern Cal and Notre Dame fancy themselves like, oh, we're, you know, we're schools that do things the right way. And we have good education here, but we also have these amazing teams. So, you know, you're like the L.A. version of us and we're the Northwest Indiana version of you. Uh, And maybe Southern Cal fans don't feel that way, but that's how I think Notre Dame fans portray the rivalry. Um, and there's been some really, really, really great, iconic, classic Southern Cal, Notre Dame games that have kept the rivalry as strong today as it was 30 years ago and, you know, 50 years ago. So that helps. Who is the most divisive figure to Notre Dame fans? There's so many. <laughs> divisive meaning some people meaning, like them and some people yes, hate them. Yes, meaning like, Lou Holtz. Meaning like okay, why, why Lou Holtz? Lou Holtz, uh, while he was at Notre Dame, won a national championship, yeah. obviously is known for his ability to tell these quirky stories and be just kind of a, a charming older folksy, guy. Yep. Folksy, kind of f- fills all your stereotypes of like prototypical Notre Dame head coach guy, college football coach guy, yeah. since leaving Notre Dame has been incredibly uh, red I guess red pilled would be the word. He's been in, he's been very openly conservative in all sorts of areas of things that I personally disagree with, and still someone that's revered by Notre Dame uh, and Notre Dame fans, I should say. So I would say there's a lot of people that do not put up with the Lou Holtz is a charming folksy guy shtick anymore. And a lot of folks that think, oh, he's, oh, it's Lou. Oh, he's great. I mean, it was Tommy Reese. <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, you know, and this is caked in recency bias, but Tommy was my quarterback for a couple of my seasons at Notre Dame. He was, I think, yeah. two years younger than me in South Bend. And so as a player, you know, he was never the day one starter when I was there. Um, when Brian Kelly came in, Dane Chris was our first starter in 2010. Then Dane got hurt late in that season, and Tommy took over down the stretch. The next season, Dane won the job out of camp. Then Tommy ends up getting the starting nod after the first game there. And so even my fifth year, he was sort of relief duty uh, for the 2012 season. But despite being a guy who was always insanely prepared, maximized all of his God-given ability, and was a great teammate, 
for Notre Dame fans, I just think maybe because of the record at the time, which isn't just a quarterback's fault, and because of the fact that he didn't look like you know Brady Quinn or this towering yeah. image of what they thought a college quarterback was supposed to look like, yeah. it never felt like he was good enough for them, despite being more than good enough for all of us and us seeing up close. Like a guy who, again, all you can ask for as a teammate is, are you going to be ready to do your job whenever you're called upon? And that was always Tommy's MO. And are you going to be prepared in a way that just lets me go out and do my job? Like, Tom was under center. I never had to worry about, are we going to be in the right check? Is he going to be in the right place? And to me, that spilled over into him as a coach where this fan base had so much conflict in their history with him that even as you have a coordinator who I thought, and objectively from outsiders, other people I would talk to around the industry, did a great job as a coordinator. Was it perfect? No. I mean, the guy was like 28 when he got the job at first. That's insane. Like... There were going to be some growing pains, but in general, you had a value add at that position in a way that I thought was extremely valuable, who helped through a lot of bumps and bruises, quarterback injury last year on the roster, and it just never seemed good enough for people. And so there is nothing I have come to blows with with Notre Dame fans, more so than the Tommy Reese experience for the last few years, and really ever going back to him as a player, because again, I feel like we had to do a lot of the same defending back then too. Oh God, this, you know, just a couple of years ago, Brian Kelly would have been like the easiest answer for this. Yeah. Um, I mean, in general, the head coach will, uh, but I mean, I think just like over the years, I think Lou Holtz has become, uh, become kind of a divisive uh, part of that. And there's, you know, people put him up on this. He's got a statue, right? I say put him on a pedestal. Well, he is on a pedestal. He's got a statue <laughs> outside, the, outside the stadium. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of years where, you know, a lot of weird loss here or there. And it's like, and you have this talent that's just like stuff in the NFL. Like how, if this was in this day and age, how, how, how would you have been looked, looked at then? So I don't know if there's really one, I mean, Jack Swarbrick is definitely, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'd probably say Jack Swarbrick is probably the top, the top dog at the moment especially because he's on his way out mm-hmm. the Under Armour deal where his son works uh, the, the NBC deal where with Peacock is where his daughter works. I mean, there's like, <laughs> there's, you know, a lot of old money nepotism going on there, it, but it's just uh, it's a different. Yeah. Jack Swarbrick probably is the most divisive, but he also might end up being the most bring it together. Yeah. Uh, sure. You know, sure. like that's something you, you could disagree about everything that happens on the field. Uh, but some of these other things that go on uh, you know, based off, you know, with decisions they've made, whether it's like, you know, they just gave up 21 wins, like, oh, we're just going to voluntarily say, hey, go ahead and take these 21 wins if you want, if you find something. And then when they did say, all right, we're going to take them, they're like, wait a minute, we didn't want this. <laughs> well, you volunteered it. What are you doing volunteering? They asked North Carolina, don't, don't give up anything. Never, Never seen a Bob movie? God almighty. So... Yeah, it's it, look. It's always going to be the head coach is going to be the most divisive because people are going to want to, no matter what, he can win by ten against some team, and yet he needs to be a fire. So whoever is the head coach is probably the most divisive. Uh, but I'd say you know Jack Swarbrick definitely because of his public persona, and then if you just go back, I think Lou Holtz is starting to become one within just like message boards talk and and all that. As far as like he's not he's not talked of in godlike ways anymore by a large part of the fan base. Um, you know, that, that should be reserved for Leahy or, you know, a Rocky, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that level era, that level of, you know, of, of honor. Um, and people are just like, no, 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 no. 
And yeah, then you get a fist fight. Which negative stereotype of Notre Dame fans is the most unfair? So I've always maintained it's this idea and like anything else, no fan base is a monolith. So yes, there are 100%. certainly portions of our fan base that probably do feel like this. But I hear the criticism all the time that Notre Dame fans are living in the past and that when they're being brought up in these playoff discussions at the end of years, well, they're just coasting on a reputation before. And it's like, no, like I, I remember I sat down and did a podcast interview with Kyle Hamilton a while back and the group of guys they were doing their in the garage podcast there. And I talked and I asked all of them because they were asking me about the 2012 season when the you know, foundation kind of got late, got uh, set there. And I was like, have any of you guys ever won less than 10 games since you've been there? And this is five. And they're like, no, like we don't, we don't know what that's like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, there's plenty of recent success that we're pointing to outside of, yeah, the big game thing where for a while, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, there's been a ceiling there. Now there's been some close games with teams like Georgia over the years that don't get talked about nearly as much, but I get it in the big stage playoff or BCS level. We have fully on it. Can we cuss on this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have, I mean, we've shit the bed in those moments. I've been yeah, a part of yeah. an epic pants pooping in Miami. So <laughs> I under like, I understand that part of things, but during the stretch run there, we were better than 90% of the teams in college football. And so us acting like, you know, being in the playoff conversation with somewhere we weren't supposed to be, that's based on what happened recently. That has nothing to do with me wanting to hold on and bang the drum for the Lou Holtz teams or anything right. that came before This that. isn't Joe so. Montana, like, out here out here get, getting Notre Dame a spot it doesn't deserve. Right. We gave you work with Ian Book. Just sit down and take <laughs> it, all right? You have to deal with that, not me. Ian's a great kid. A lot of them fit is the problem. <laughs> Because there's, there's so many. It's such a huge fan base that you can. Throw... All right. Well, 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 let's give you the easier then. What is okay. what is the most accurate negative stereotype of Notre Dame fans? That they're not college football fans. OK. I, I, I think other fan bases understand this. I think the SEC fans understand that they have a better understanding of what's happened around them in college football, where there's vast majority of Notre Dame fans and anyone that's listening to this. I'm not speaking to you. You obviously mm -hmm. care about college football uh, as a whole, I would believe, if you're listening to this. So, you know, put down the knives. But there <laughs> is a big, big, big group of Notre Dame fans that just have no idea what's happening around them in college football and will argue things like about rankings or Heisman stuff or whatever with having no knowledge. They can't even name another player on another team. Uh, and it's just it's it's poor form. It's poor form and it's, and it's embarrassing. <laughs> so that is that is definitely one that I'll line up with the other people and say, yeah, that's absolutely true. There's probably a little truth in more of them than I care to admit. <laughs> I mean, while I said the independence thing doesn't matter, like I said, every once in a while, we do love kind of rubbing people's nose in that. But I, I mean, we also probably do take ourselves a little seriously at times, too. I, I would say that's. You know, I, I know between you and the rest of the full cast crew, we get called cops a lot around the world, the college sports for our role in certain things. But I, I mean, I don't know. They stole you know, the NCAA stole 12, 12 of my wins that were very important to me, too. So I feel like I've bound up on the other side of the law here and I got arrested by freshman year. So, I, you know, I 
I, I, but I, w- I would say there's definitely definitely that where at times, and you mentioned the online portion of things, sometimes I do feel like we're this ball of nerves a little bit too much, uh-huh. and we're reading into everything, and it's like every every possible recruiting miss, all of it, you know, which is not uniquely Notre Dame, but I'd say sometimes we're a little too self-serious. No, they're all pretty fair. <laughs> Name me a couple. Name me a couple. Okay, um... Let's let's say that Notre Dame fans are humorless. I think that is a stereotype people have that Notre Dame fans are really self-serious. They don't take well to like they're not really uh okay with people making fun of them in a way that like goes beyond like the sensitivities of most college football fans. I would say having been part of other college football fan bases that Notre Dame fans are no more or less sensitive than anyone else because in the at the heart of it we're all big babies. Every single college football fan <laughs> hates when a national media reporter gets a fact wrong about them mm-hmm. or puts them you know, votes them lower than they think they should be or does anything to go against the grain of what the fan base thinks. I think that's true for just about any college football fan. Okay. How about um Notre Dame fans are self-important. Notre Dame, like, they're, I, they're, again, this is not me saying that these are stereotypes and stereotypes are ugly. There are times where it feels like Notre Dame feels like it should be at the center or near the center of the college football universe, irrespective of how good or bad Notre Dame football is in a given stretch. How do you feel about that stereotype? I think that we are the most important school, so we should be in the center of the conversation always. We have lots of fans and lots of people like Notre Dame, so we should always be talking about it. Okay, okay. Um, gosh, I mean, all, like you said, all the stereotypes are not only true, but justified is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Okay, good to know. Notre Dame is, it's interesting because I do feel like the fan base feels like in the last couple decades, we've had a chip on our shoulders and there's this like Rudy element to the fan base. Like we are this small school, but we are so big and vast in our footprint and what we mean to college sports and to college football, but we don't get any credit for it. Even when we're good, even when we Mm -hmm. win 12 games, even though we're one of only 10 teams that have made the college football playoff, even fewer teams that have made it twice. We don't get the credit that we deserve and we do everything harder than we have to. So we should get double credit because not only do we play college football good, we also shoot ourselves in the foot with recruiting and the transfer portal and all of the other things that other universities for the most part do not concern themselves with. What you are describing is a world in which you're either with Notre Dame or you're waiting to see Notre Dame fail and laugh at them. Like there are not people who are on the fence or neutral about Notre Dame. Do you think that's true? And how do Notre, if it is, how do Notre Dame fans feel about being in that position? Here, here is the thing that I think that most people won't admit that pretend that they're indifferent to Notre Dame. Anytime any thing happens in college football, you see the Notre Dame is irrelevant trope. And that is the thing that I think triggers fans the most because to be irrelevant, then 
why are you constantly mentioning us why inserting us yeah, into okay. every single conversation that mm -hmm, happens about mm -hmm. conference realignment especially and all of these other things when like year in and year out yeah notre dame gets really good ratings they a lot of people want to watch notre dame games they're a very recognizable brand is it disproportionate to other teams that are very good sometimes yes sometimes no but this the i think the thing that that triggers fans the most is the constantly like if we're so irrelevant why do you keep talking about us then <laughs> what would it even look like for notre dame to like what does irre irrelevant Notre Dame look like? Is that a pos is that a possible combination in college football at this point in time? I think irrelevant Notre Dame would look like what Stanford has done to their football program oh, okay. over the last few years. Like yeah. I don't think if if you lived through the 2016 Notre Dame season in which Brian Kelly coached them to a four and eight season with a very talented I never, I team. I didn't know that. Yeah, Florida went four and eight the next year, by the way, but I will <laughs> let that go. Um, you know that that is not something the university is ready to do. The university yeah. is, Notre Dame football is so ingrained in the university and what they sell to people coming into the school and all of the things that they want to be about, right? Even as college football becomes more monetized and more late stage capitalism than it even has been five years ago, uh, Notre Dame still is clinging on to things that I think some fans take as reasons to be morally superior and some fans claim to be just Notre Dame being Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame is not going to just change. It's it's a it is a thing that does not change and move quickly, which is why they are still not joined a conference after being snubbed by the Western Conference, now the Big Ten, over 100 years ago, Ryan. We like our tradition. We like to do things the hard way because it's the right way. And what was your question? I don't know, but I will keep <laughs> rambling about Notre Dame for as long as you want me to. That's the most Notre Dame thing about you, truthfully. I could yeah. talk about the Notre Dame for as long as you want me to, and I, I probably I pissed off a lot of my friends, but I don't care. So I knew going into this episode that Notre Dame was going to be a tricky fan base to understand. Outwardly, like the Catholic Church, it wants to project uniformity, uh, a community moving in unison with shared traditions, values, and goals for the future. But also like Catholicism, it doesn't really work that way on the inside. You have different groups who want different things from Notre Dame, both the school and the football team, and the Irish have to figure out how to maintain their historic connections without becoming, no religious pun intended, a relic. So I'll stick to the theme here and end with a confession. In a surprise to me, after talking to these three guests, I kind of want to go to a game in South Bend? I don't really know how to feel about that. Thank you to Mike, Joshua, and Jessica for appearing on today's show. And thanks as always to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring We're Not All Like This. My aggressively talented producer is Michael Serber. And next week, we will be changing climates and heavenly allegiances when we talk to some Arizona State Sun Devils.